This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm joined today by Jennifer Alvarez, our Digital Media and Marketing Officer. Today's topic is focusing on crisis communications, which is a very hot topic right now, especially in government. So let's talk about why social media is such an important and vital tool, especially in emergencies. Yeah, Dana, as you mentioned, you know, these crisis communications are are a hot topic um, in government especially, and social media has become the most important tool in the public information officer's tool belt, basically. Um, It is allowing um, PIOs to share information instantaneously as soon as it's available, and it is really helping um, different organizations become the source of information rather than um, relying on the media outlets to do so for them. Absolutely. So when we have an incident, even if we don't have a lot of information, we now immediately go to social media, Twitter especially, to post up-to-date information. So talk to me about what that process is like and how you work with the police and fire departments to get that information out. Yeah, so here in Gilbert, we have over 25 social media channels, but we really do focus in on um, Twitter when it comes to emergency situations. Um, We've kind of told our community when an emergency happens, that is the place that they can find the most up-to-date information. Um, And we have established, I have established relationships with the other public information officers in police and fire um, so that we can really work together to make sure that the most up-to-date information is posted as soon as it is available so that um, we become, again, the source of information rather than relying on media to do so. Absolutely. And when they, when the media picks up on an incident happening, you know, either on the radio or, you know, if they get word, um, it's really important because they're going to go right to your Twitter channels and they're going to be looking for that information. And even if it's just we're currently, you know, investigating an incident at, you know, X, Y, or Z, that is more helpful than nothing at all. And the worst case scenario is the media goes looking for information and isn't there. Let's talk about, let's back up. So we've been here, um, I created this Department of Digital Communications Department about four and a half years ago, and you came in in what is traditionally a PIO role in other cities, but here um, you're more focused on digital media and marketing efforts. And that huge part of that has been social media and kind of establishing those channels. Like you said, we, you know, we manage more than 25 channels and work very closely with the other departments to do that, including police and fire. So if there's a major incident, we're involved. We might not be the lead, but we're involved. And if that's just managing the social media um, or assisting with that or maybe going out and taking video, um, if it's an incident, that's also going to be really important. Um, tell me about, because I remember when you started here, there was one incident. And unfortunately, I always tell people, until a crisis happens, it's really difficult to know how this is going to happen. You can do a lot of tabletop exercises. You can activate your EOC, um, your emergency operations center, as a practice. Um, But until a real-life incident happens, um, as sad and traumatic as those might be, those are the best learning opportunities for crisis communications and teamwork. And so um, this is really loosely called Teamwork and Technology for Emergency Response. And it's because of the experiences we've had um, that we've really been able to build a, you know, a team and a protocol for what happens in these types of emergencies. So talk to me about um, when you came on, I know there was an incident um, at a massage parlor that happened, um, a terrible incident. Um, What we really realized, I think it kind of exposed us to um, the lack of what we were doing when it came to getting information out on Twitter. 
Yeah, so um, that incident you were referring to was at a massage school, and it was on a Friday. We work Monday through Thursday, so it was technically one of our days off. Um, but of course, in as a PIO, you never really have a day off. Um, so when Welcome that is twenty-four hour news, yeah, world. exactly. So when that incident occurred, um, I was actually at home and I had the news on, and I'm seeing a helicopter swirling over the site where a car had driven into this massage school. Um, and they had no information. They had no contact with um, police or fire PIOs. They were literally saying, we have no details on this incident, but we can see that a car had driven into this massage school. So I, uh, you know, see this and instantly call my counterpart in police and, um, you know, ask him what's going on. Why do we not have any information out there? The news media is looking for information. They are literally saying there's nothing um coming from police or fire or from Gilbert at all. And, of course, that's our worst nightmare, right? Um, So, you know, that incident really did um, reveal, like you said, how um, when an incident occurs, you need to have some sort of teamwork approach. Like you said, you can never fully prepare for a crisis incident. Um, But when in, in, in an incident, it really is too much for any one person to handle on their own. Um, I think, um, I'm sure we'll probably bring this up in a minute, but um, the instance that I've worked, you know, you have the on-site PIO doing on-camera interviews, and then you also have that expectation, or we've set that expectation that we'll be posting information instantaneously or once it's available on social media, especially Twitter. Um, so handling those on-site interviews, handling um Twitter and social media, and then also trying just to stay up to date on the latest elements of the incident is way too much for one person to handle. So like you said, we've really established that teamwork approach here in Gilbert where um, depending on the incident, whether it's fire or police, um, we've built that trust with both departments to where they um, welcome our help to come and assist them on these major incidents. Yeah, let's go back to the massage parlor incident because I think what was really interesting was when you called your counterpart, um, he said that he needed to take a shower, he (laughs) needed to drive out, he needed to set up a press conference. He was going to be holding a press conference and that was going to take a few hours. Meanwhile, other businesses locally were already talking to the media. The media had information. They just weren't getting it from the source. They were getting it from, you know, bystanders or spectators, and it wasn't necessarily verified information. And so we were already behind the eight ball. We were already not in control of the story. And so I think that that was a really important learning moment for us. So this, again, was a few years ago. So this is before Twitter was kind of the natural place that you went and the media went. Um, And so again, the instinct was, well, let me go set up a a press conference Mm -hmm. and um, we'll gather and then we'll tell the media. And it was like, uh, no, the media's already live. They're circling overhead in their helicopters and saying that they're not hearing anything from the town. That's a problem. How do you fix that problem? How do you fix it instantly? Well, you don't wait and set up a press conference. You put information on Twitter. And I remember their concern was, well, we don't really have a lot of up-to-date information or we don't really you know, no one will be getting it. And it was like, you don't really have to say anything specific, anything related to the investigation. You need to just say, we're here. We'll be providing information shortly. We'll have an update for you at this time. Um, and I think that that's really important. And once the media gets something, if, you know, anything, you know, they're happy and a little bit more satisfied. And again, you are the people that they're coming to, the news source. And so 
if you don't give them information, they're going to go start trying to find it other places. Right, exactly. And I always tell people, you know, um, during an incident or during a crisis, people don't expect perfection, but they do expect information. So making sure that you put out something, you know, we're not there to compromise investigations at all. Um, We just want to make sure that people are hearing from the source, that you are pegged as that source of information um, so that when you do have something of value, they know that they can find that from you, from your sources. And the access you have mm-hmm. is obviously very different. I think that's one of the differentiators um, you know, between us and the media covering an event is we get access, we know the people involved, we're privy to information that the media might not be Um, let's talk about um, using live video because it's not just about using Twitter and posting updates and that is very important and um, always having a compelling image to go along with it. I know the other night we had a fire and um, we made a map and had some arrows and, you know, I think it had 58 retweets, you know, within a few hours. And so, again, I think this is really important information and when you can have something visual, a visual element, um, photos from the scene, um, things behind the scene that scenes that no one else can have access to. I think that that's also really important. But let's talk about um, live video, Periscope in yeah. particular. I know that was really hot when we started using it for emergencies. Um, now it seems to be um, more Facebook Live. Of course, every time we turn around, there's a new channel, and we try to stay on top of all of them. Um, but let's talk about how you've used Periscope um, in emergencies. Yeah, there are a couple examples that come to mind. Um, the first one is actually right after we started using Periscope for live video. Um, and we had an officer-involved shooting. And um, because of, the again, the established relationships that we have with the police department, I get a phone call from my counterpart in police, and he um, asks for help because he had no idea what was going on, but this had potential to be a, a major, major incident. And so um, I met him on scene, and by the time we had gotten there, um, it had died down a little bit, but we did go live because he was doing um, interviews for the 12 o'clock news for all of our local channels, and it was, I think, about 1130. So there's still some time that the information wasn't going to be shared. And so we decided to go live for the first time during an emergency situation. We had no idea what to ex- expect, but um, the outcome was was really incredible. We had um, residents and citizens, and um, this specific incident was located right next to a church and right next to elementary school. The elementary school had been put on lockdown, so we had parents come on and ask about, you know, are my children safe? Is the lockdown still in place? Um, If I want to come pick up my kids, how do I do that? And so we were able to not only give out that, um, you know, information that our police PIO was giving out all the other media outlets, but we were able to show the scene live and show that, you know, it wasn't, there was no chaos. It was very calm um, that the, we were able to tell people that the school was no longer on lockdown, that if they wanted to pick up their kids, you know, we had road closures, closures in place. And so um, we were able to show them and tell them where they could and how they could access um, the school to pick up their kids. And really, it was just a, a, a valuable tool for us to show that there was no chaos. You know, it was calm. We were working through the investigation. We didn't have a whole lot of information at that time, but um, we were able to share what we did know. So it was... And that visual element is so powerful. And when, you know, Mm -hmm. versus reading something just, you know, in print or on Twitter or wherever it might be that you're getting that news source, but being able to see it and see it live, um, especially like you mentioned for parents, that's so powerful. And, And live video can be stressful. I mean, you're getting asked questions. You have to be filtering. You have to be you know, blocking the inappropriate comments, which are inevitable and are going to happen. Um, But then you also have to have answers to the questions. You have to be prepared.
prepared. And if a parent is going to come on and say, you know, what time or where specifically do I pick up my child from school, you have to have that answer. So it's a lot of pressure. Um, but you work really closely with the fire PIO during that time and police to be sure you had all of the necessary information that you needed. And I think that that was really powerful. In fact, you've gotten some national recognition and have gone around and talked at conferences about this. And I think, um, again, talking about fear of, you know, fear of being live, fear of being, you know, not having the information, fear of, and you kind of have to let that go and really know that the value that you're providing by being able to bring people um, into that incident and share that information is more powerful. Talk to me about, you know, what that's like under pressure. Yeah. So I always tell people that live video, especially during emergency situations, is the ultimate multitasking uh, challenge. You have um, not only are you live on a scene where you don't know what's going to happen, you're you're managing questions that are coming through at a very quick, fast pace. And then you're also... um, you're also needing to tell the story, right? And make sure that you're getting the correct information out. Um, You know, you do have a ton of people asking questions that you might not know the answer to. And you can say, I don't know, or, you know, we'll get back to you on that. We will post that on Twitter once we have an answer. Um, But, and people do appreciate that. They know that you're live. They know that um, you're not going to have the answers to everything. You know, in a, in a live situation, I think back to a, a major fire that we had that I went live on scene. Um, it was dark. It was loud. It was not the, the best place to do live video. Well, and the production quality, that's the other piece of live video is, you know, the expectation is low yes. because the production quality is low. And that's okay. You know, people know that. They, they aren't expecting to see a highly produced, perfectly shot, well-lit you know, video there, they understand that's kind of one of the beauties of live video makes it a little easier in that sense. Right, right. And like you talked about the access, Sophie, because I am with the, um, with the police or fire, I do have a little bit better access than the media would normally have. So I was able to show the fire up close. I was able to show the behind the scenes of the fire. I was able to show um, the, the full response. I mean, it is shocking to see the the type of response that, you know, a five alarm fire has um, and really tell the story in a different from a different perspective. So we're able, we're giving the the details, right? The necessary details about evacuations, about road closures, about media staging. How oh, people then, could get their animals because exactly. there was a nearby apartment complex that had a bunch of evacuations, and so that information also that maybe the media didn't have, but you had, you know, you were privy to. Right, and you know, in, in both incidents that I talked about, the fire and the officer involved shooting, the media was using our live feed. Um, I had, you know, radio stations are using the sound bites as long as, you know, they're clear enough. Um, the officer involved shooting, um, I was standing right next to a vehicle and, and it was, there was this loud buzz from the vehicle. But, um, you know, they really do want to and will use that footage. So that'll prevent you or keep you from having to do constant interviews because they'll be using that live footage that you've already created. Again, it's not perfect. People don't expect perfection, but um, the fact that you are taking, making that effort and providing that information and giving them that inside access is really valuable. And I think we used the term, you know, we beat the news, you know, to the, we beat the 10 o'clock news we because we provided information to our residents where they might've been waiting until 10 PM for their local news to come on to get the information they needed. But we're able to do that, like you said, instantaneously, um, through Twitter. Um, but it's a lot to manage. Talk to me about 
your role in all of those pieces. Because again, if you're doing live video, how are you also posting on Twitter? How are you being sure that you're running around getting the most, you know, up-to-date information? I know we have a command van, so that was really important. And again, another place where you had access that the media didn't. And the logistics of the fire itself, the media was actually staged in a parking lot near a local, you know, Banner Health Center. It's a medical facility. So they weren't even that close to the incident, but you were right in it. So that was a huge differentiator well. But talk about how you kind of juggle um, being in a crisis, you know, kind of being on all the channels where you need to be at once. Yeah. Again, ultimate multitasking challenge. Um, and answering questions. That yes. was the other big piece because people were asking questions, not just on live video, but on Twitter too. So talk about that. Yeah. Again, in emergencies like that, you can't do it alone. And so our fire PIO was handling all the on-site media interviews. Um, I was handling all of the Twitter posting um, and live video, and then we kind of worked together on the live video. When I was in the command van getting up-to-date information and posting it to Twitter, and then when there was a, a kind of a break, and um, like you said, we went live before the local news did because it was, you know, 7 o'clock on a Saturday evening. They weren't out and about. Um, so we ended up beating the news media. And when you talked about um, to being our own news agency, I always go back to the example that I heard of one of our um, employees who was looking on all of you know the local news sites, the local newspaper website, trying to find some sort of information about the fire. He couldn't find anything. He walks outside and his neighbor tells him, oh, you didn't know Gilbert was live on Periscope. Um, so, you know, he, the, the community knows to where to find the information, and they found that, um, and they're telling our own employee that the um, that we're live on on about the fire telling and broadcasting the latest information. So um, live is very a very, very useful tool. But in that instance specifically, I was managing, um, I was in the command van managing Twitter and all the social posts. Um, I was, But at the same time, I was running around grabbing different photos to show a different perspective, a different side to the fire. Um, you can only say that we're continuing to put out this fire for so long. This fire went on for four hours. Um, so, you know, showing the different side, showing um, the different um, the firefighters in the rehab vehicle getting rehydrated after fighting, and then they would end up going back out and fight again. Um, showing the evacuees and the different businesses, you know, we had a local business donate pizza and, and food for those evacuees and, and showing and recognizing them and thanking them, using social media as a tool to thank them was um an incredible source for us, a resource for us. One of the most powerful images I think that you shared was the um, the firefighters or the personnel, whoever they were, because I know they came from all over, being rehydrated. Yeah. And I think that was an image that made it very real to people that there were lives at stake, right? Yep. And so that was really, really powerful. And again, something that the media wouldn't have had access to. Right. And I think um, even as you know, I'm a citizen, I'm a resident of Gilbert actually. And as a resident, those are the things that I want to see. And I think police and fire personnel don't always think of those things. They think of what they do as their job, very tactical, mm -hmm. exactly. And, you know, I, I provide that different perspective when we talk about, you know, the fear of posting information on Twitter before it's confirmed or, you know, because the investigation's not complete. Um, you know, again, it's, you don't necessarily need all the details. You just need something. You, people want to know and know that you're posting about something. I know that you're relating to something. That reminds me of the story that we just heard about one of the former um, fire PIOs. And again, that's something we should mention that in most government agencies or most cities, um, the PIOs in public safety 
have a lot of turnover. They're mm-hmm. usually temporary posts. So they're rotating in and out maybe every year or every few years. So it is quite a bit to develop these relationships. It's exhausting and takes a lot of time. And then all of a sudden there's a new person that starts over and they might not know the first thing about social media or video or kind of how we do things. So these relationships do take a lot of time to build and it's a you know, huge investment. Um, but I would say to anyone that it's highly worth it, especially in emergencies, that it really does pay off if you have those strong relationships and you can rely on each other and work as a team. But we had um, a former PIO from FIRE retire uh, recently, and they told a story about um, that the social media team made him come in and came flying into an incident in an unmarked car and took a photo. And we had to laugh because to them, this was this like, how could you take a photo? And again, nothing compromising. We understand, you know, in, in an incident, we wouldn't want to be, you know, showing a victim or license plate numbers, house numbers, things like that. We're obviously, you know, very conscientious about that. But um, what I thought was funny is we remember that incident and we told him, no, just go take the picture and ask for forgiveness later, right? <laughs> yep. Because that's how we handle social media is that, you know, residents want to see something. They want the visual. They don't just want, you know, a blurb. And when it comes from the city or the organization, the agency, you know, where they live, it's even more meaningful and more powerful. So talk to me about, you know, that that imagery that I think we're always searching for, especially in an emergency, to kind of be able to share and give that access and why it's so important, whether it's live video, still photo, Twitter updates, any social media platform. Yeah, imagery is critical when it comes to social media. And um, because I am on site during a lot of these incidents, I'm able to grab those photos and share them. Um, Again, we become the source of information. I see our Twitter posts being um, broadcast on the local news stations um, saying from Gilbert Fire, this is what's going on, the latest. Um, So again, we want to be that source of information. We want to provide um, resources for the community to to see so that they can understand what's going on, but then also to um, provide the media information that they can use to broadcast um, if they're not able to send somebody or if they just don't have the access to what we're, we're posting. And I think this is such an important topic that we're going to have a future episode focusing specifically just on how we work with public safety, mm-hmm. um, not just in emergency incidents, but on a day-to-day basis, really, because yeah. we do have oversight over their social media channels. So I think it is really um, an important topic and, you know, something that I feel very proud of, those established relationships here in Gilbert. And I think that other cities could really learn a lot from um, looking at, you know, how you kind of bridge that gap with public safety. So we'll be talking more about that in the future. Yeah, I definitely think it's a very unique relationship when I, you know, like you said, I travel around and kind of talk through how we worked with our public safety personnel during crisis situations. Um, they kind of look at me and they, they, you know, say, you're from the city side? You're, you're the town side? Okay. Um, your public safety lets you come on scene? Yes, absolutely. We've established that relationship. We've built that trust. We've showed that value. I think the fire is a great example of showing that value. Um, and that the fire department got kudos from their, their, uh, their local department saying, you know, you guys did a great job getting information out on social media, on Twitter. We were informed the entire time. We knew what was going on. Um, and, you know, that showing that value was critical for us to keep building that relationship with the, those different departments. Awesome. Awesome. You're doing some great work here. So this is really fun. Thanks for joining Thank me. you. Yeah. And thank you to our listeners. Until next time, be sure to engage with us on social media. You can follow us at Gilbert Your Town on Twitter and Instagram and like us at Gilbert Town Hall on Facebook. Check out our videos at gilbertaz.gov backslash YouTube. And if you have questions or comments for us, use the hashtag GovGoneDigital. We'll see you next time from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital.